uh, it's uh, my great pleasure to introduce to you Britton Wood, uh, campus minister for Reform University Fellowship out in Stanford, California. He and his wife Elizabeth and four daughters, two sets of twins. Uh, I told him earlier we're going to form a support group, uh, and uh, we both have our eyes out for wash and wear wedding dresses. So, uh, but out there before that, you were uh, the RUF minister at uh, the University of South Carolina and uh, graduate of uh, Covenant Seminary and Vanderbilt University, Anchor Down. Uh, delighted to have you to preach uh, with us uh, today, Britton. I would invite you next week, of course, we've got Ken Jones uh, from Miami, Florida, coming into town, one of the hosts of the White Horse Inn. He's been here several times before. I want to invite you to join us then. Britton Wood will preach after we stand and sing hymn number 150, verses 1, 2, and 5. seated. It's an honor to be with y'all this morning, uh, to come across the country and join you. Uh, served for RUF in South Carolina for four years, and I've now been in California for five years serving at Stanford. And I was explaining to some of my friends out in California how neat it was that I was getting to teach here this morning and that my cousin sister was preparing the food. And then I got this weird look from them, and I said, no, Alabama's not like that. It's my cousin, Kama, who goes by the name Sister, is preparing our food. Um, so, still trying to save Alabama's reputation out there, doing the best I can. Um, we're going to look at a few verses from Matthew 5 today. We're going to read the first couple of verses from the Sermon on the Mount and ask this question. Uh, and it sounds maybe a little simple, maybe a little silly, but how can I be happy? And it's a question we're all asking, my students are certainly asking. And what Jesus in summary says in these first couple of verses of the Sermon on the Mount is that the key to happiness is being sad. And maybe I think the most neglected, misunderstood, avoided, and probably feared spiritual discipline is the spiritual discipline of sadness. And the season of Lent is a season where we intentionally actually cultivate sadness over sin. And so it's pertinent for, this, pertinent for this season. But I think our sadness should extend beyond this season because the practice of sadness is actually the key to happiness according to Jesus. So hear the word of the Lord. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. I heard one pastor this past summer say, sadness is a gift from God. It's a gift that he gave to Adam and Eve when they walked out of the garden and after the fall into a broken world. Because what sadness is, is it's the existential feeling that God placed in their heart and in their imagination that says, things are not supposed to be this way. Sadness is one of the most holy emotions. It's actually very hard to mess up sadness. We can mess up a lot of other emotions, but almost every time you feel sad, it's right. Because sadness is our soul's cry. That it wasn't supposed to be this way. And a lot of our life 
is muffling and mitigating and medicating that voice because it's terrifying. And Jesus is here saying, blessedness is not the opposite of sadness. It's actually found through sadness. The opposite of sadness is not happiness or joy. The opposite of sadness is actually numbness. Because if you actually choose to feel in a world that's broken, you will feel sad. It's inevitable. And the only way to actually avoid sadness altogether is to choose to stop feeling. And so a really easy way to sedate the overwhelming dark night of the soil, right? Or dark night of the soul. Is at 2 a.m. when the restlessness of this existence, guilt, death, the complexity and anxiety of our lives and our broken relationships, how things are not right. You know what you can do and deaden that feeling really quickly? Netflix. Turn on office reruns, and guess what? You don't have to feel anymore. You don't have to feel sad. And we all have our Netflix. Whatever it is, fitness, control, reputation, things, money, family, social life, busyness, all of these things are good. Netflix is good. They're not evil. But when we use them to sedate our sense of deep sadness about the condition of our hearts and about the imminent death of our bodies, we actually hamper our ability to find happiness. And we believe that these saccharine substitutes can do what only Jesus can do. Those things are sandcastles, and sandcastles are not bad. Sandcastles are fun. They're worthy of our time and energy. But sandcastles are temporary. Believing that compliant, successful children and the admiration of your peers are going to fix the fall is like believing ibuprofen can cure cancer. It can relieve you of some inflammation for a while, and that's even good, but it is not a cure, and it will kill you if you mistake it as a cure. And so Jesus' invitation to us is that will we take a break from actually medicating the seemingly unanswerable sadness with all the distractions? And will we be willing to walk into deep, dark sadness? And this is the thing about sadness is it's terrifying. It will take sleep away from you. It will produce tears. It will shake you. It may affect work and productivity. And it may pull other people in. It is not a light thing. And in many ways, we actually believe so strongly in our ability that we should have conquered sadness that we're actually even more traumatized when it inevitably overpowers our superficial cures. What does Jesus say? He says, blessed are the poor in spirit, blessed are those who mourn, blessed are those who meek, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Who are the poor in spirit? The poor in spirit are those who lack spiritual resources. When sadness comes, they feel, I don't have it within me to make it. I'm not strong enough to overcome. Jesus does not say, blessed are the spiritual giants. He says, blessed are those who find themselves spiritually powerless. And that's a scary place to be. Because we are afraid of what that place feels like. We don't like the feeling of that place. And so what we do is we leverage ourselves into spiritual middle class. So we, we look, cobble together and look at our kind of self-congratulatory attempts at being nice people. 
and say, hey, I'm spiritually middle class. I've got some things together. But we all know it's all leveraged and it's all fake. And it's our desire to hide our true poverty from ourselves and from others. And anytime we get a little self-congratulatory about our spiritual lives, we should go to Philippians where Paul says, if anybody should congratulate themselves for their spiritual lives, it's me. And it has has given me nothing. Blessed are those who are poor in spirit. Blessed are those who mourn. Who haven't deadened their ability to feel that this world is not the way it should have been. That I'm not the way it should have been. Who realize that CrossFit and money and status and moral improvement and obedient children and Netflix can't quiet the sadness. Blessed are those who've gotten sadder. Blessed are the meek who find that they're powerless against the broken of the world. One of the reasons we're so afraid of sadness is because when real sadness comes, we find that we're powerless against it. We hate the discovery that we might not be able to fix it. That's meekness. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, whose soul is parched with longing, is desperate for things to be right again. The soul that both knows but actually experiences an emaciated and starving condition to be the right sort of person again and for the world to be right again. The reason that we're not happy is because we're both afraid to say and also enter into what we know to be true. I'm spiritually poor and I'm sad and I'm weak and I'm desperate. We'd prefer to be spiritually middle class, highly leveraged, distracted, admired by our peers and sedated. That is a far easier way to go through life and it is far deadlier. And it will never give us happiness. If we want to be happy, we have to get better at being sad. We actually have to get into the helplessness of our sadness. And you're actually getting towards mature and good sadness. The kind that actually senses and grieves spiritual poverty. The sadness that actually stops settling for temporary treatment of the symptoms of our broken condition. When you find yourself crying for the gospel to be true. Don't settle for thinking superficially about your sadness. Chase it down. It's actually there to be a signpost for you, pointing you beyond the immediate inconvenience of the specific circumstances that bothers you. It's a signpost to point you further to the deeper need that we have for forgiveness and resurrection. And only then will you stumble into rejoicing, deep rejoicing. The reason that the poor in spirit and the mourning and the meek and the desperate receive the kingdom of heaven, are comforted, inherit the earth, and are satisfied in their souls is because that person has finally seen through all the cheap sadness cures that we turn to. And they've gotten to the point where they plead with Jesus, Jesus, take away guilt and take away the power of sin and please conquer sin's greatest evil, which is death. You begin to pray, Jesus, come quickly. Sadness that's well considered leads you to Jesus. Not as a spiritual assistant, not as a genie, not as a personal improvement guru, but as the only hope that can save us from guilt and death. In our most shallow moments, we think he came just to clear our conscience. He came to do, and he has done so much more. He is the first fruits of the resurrection. He is God's evidence and promise that God has the power to make things all new again. And he's already begun that work. When you become desperate and sad enough to realize that you only have Jesus, if you have everything, you still only have Jesus. 
that all you have to offer your children is your own repentance and your Savior Jesus, then you're on the brink of a kind of joy that the world lacks the capacity to understand. They will not understand it. We think sadness is a sign of spiritual immaturity, and it's the exact opposite. The person that I know who cries the most about her own sin, who cries the most about the sin of others, the brokenness in the world, and cries the most about death, that person sings the promises of God with the most passion and the loudest voice. The reason that church is boring to us is actually because we're not very good at being sad. So we fail to see what's being offered. The Psalms are the place in Scripture where the interior life of a Christian is processed through song. And there are more Psalms of lament than any other kind. And you can always tell that you've settled for short-term and shallow cures for sadness when you find yourself unable to connect with the Psalms. Because when we come up against true, deep sadness that is unanswerable by anything in this world... You'll understand the Psalms and you'll actually be able to pray their groaning tone. And you'll pray them with tears that my sin has gone over my head. It is a burden that's too heavy for me. I groan because of what's in my heart. Why are you cast down, O my soul? And you'll pray, soul, hoping God. That's all I know to pray now. The reason we're not happy is because we haven't been willing to be desperate Desperate enough in sadness to finally freely run to Jesus and cling to him for everything. And find that he gives us all that we need. That God who is rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our sin, has made us alive together with Christ. And if we've been united with him in a death like his, we will be united with him in the resurrection. That he works all things together for the good of those who love him. To the good of those who love him, not to our preference and not to our ease, but to our good. And that they may very well require that he takes all of our sadness substitutes from us, all the, the substitute cures from us, until we discover in Jesus the forgiving grace of God, his fatherly loving care, and the promise of the resurrection. Because if you have God's forgiveness and his fatherly loving care, and you have the seal of the resurrection, you have everything. You could lose everything in this life and still have everything. And it will make you sing loudly with tears and with joy. If we're not allowed, if we don't let ourselves, let the sadness in us expose our faulty, foolish, and ultimately silly cures and lead us to Jesus, we'll never be happy. Do you want to be happy? Stop running from sadness. Run headlong into it and you will find Jesus. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for sadness. And we need the power of your Holy Spirit to give us the courage to run into it. So that we can grieve the condition of this world and the condition of our souls. And we can find the hope of the gospel to be the only thing we need and to be given to us and offered to us freely by your grace. In your name we pray. Amen.